0: Amen. If you would please take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 in your Bible. I'm going to preach a sermon this morning entitled, Setting Everything Right. And if you are curious as to if this is going to be a help for you or not, let me give you some things that popped into my mind as to why this passage is very, very practical for us today. First of all, if you're a person who has struggled with guilt over a past sin that just seems to be dominant, there is something that is there, you can't seem to forget about it, and yet you're a follower of Christ, but you still are tortured by this sin of your past. I hope that this passage here will shed some light on how you can approach that. There might even be some who are wondering if forgiveness is possible because of the enormity of the sins in their past. And then also, practically, with sharing the gospel, we understand that we need to get individuals to a place for them to come to Christ. We have to get people to a place where they understand that they are separated from God. It's a strong word, but to use the word, they are enemies of God. And I think this passage today is very, very clear as it uses a contrast in that. I'm going to read verses 12 through 21 of Romans 5, and then we'll cover the entire passage in our our message. Starting in verse number 12 of Romans 5, the Bible says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there was no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned though through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more." So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Alright, this is a healthy chunk that we're going to look at today. And as we go through it, I'll refer back to some specific verses, but it is really an encouraging message. This is um, is some deep truths that we find Paul giving us here in Romans chapter 5. Some truths like imputation. God's imputed righteousness on you. That's going to be at the heart of what we're talking about. And what we're going to see specifically is a contrast. Throughout all of these verses, there is a contrast. And it is amazing how we look at this and we can see the incredible difference of the actions of just one. I want to give you a name that you've likely never heard before, Dosh Rath Manji. Now, Dashrath Rath Manji is an individual that most of us have not heard of, but he is one who was a person that stepped out there and did something that would benefit many others. Let me tell you what Dash Rathmanji did. He lived in the hills of India, and as he was there, he, he took care of goats. That's what his simple life consisted of. But in those hills, his wife one day had an accident in the hills. She fell, and she had a very serious injury. It was so serious, they were going to have to take her to the hospital. Well, because of those mountains and how everything had to be set up, the, the travel distance to the hospital was 45 miles. And they did not have any kind of a vehicle to get there. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming they put her in a cart and they started this trip 45 miles to take her to the hospital. It was a horrible ordeal. When the whole thing was over, Manji got back to his place and here's what he decided to do. He sold his goats, and he bought a hammer, and he bought a chisel, and for 22 years, Dashrath Manji worked a road and built that through the rock system. He spent time chiseling away at that mountain, and what he ended up making was a road that would be 30 feet deep in the mountain, 25 feet wide. And 360 feet long. That's what he did for 22 years. Here's the effect that it had. It took that trip from 45 miles to get to the hospital. It changed it and reduced it down to just 4 miles. As he made a way to get to a village that was much closer to the road. Now, when we think of that, we are encouraged by the incredible influence, the incredible change that one person can have on many. Well, as we look into Romans chapter 5 today, what we're going to see is this. Two people that had an effect on many. First of all, we see that Adam, Adam's sin brought death to the entire human race. But Christ's gift brings life To those who will receive it. And so, here in this passage, Paul is going to lay one man and what he did against another man and what he did. All right, all that to take us to our text here in Romans chapter 5. I'm only going to do one verse of review. We've already covered about the first half of Romans 5. And the only verse that I'm going to point out that we've already talked about is 5.8, which is a familiar verse to those of us who know the Romans road. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so there's a comparison going on here too, and it's the comparison of man's love versus, do you remember from last time? Man's love versus divine love. A a man might possibly die for somebody who was good, but a man wouldn't die for a scoundrel. Compare that to what God did, where Christ died for the ungodly, for those who were his enemy. So we find a little bit of contrast already in the beginning of Romans chapter 5. And now we're going to see contrast between Adam and between Christ. If you're taking notes, I've only got two points for today. And number one is what everyone is in Adam. So I mentioned earlier this is going to be a helpful passage if you're talking to someone and you're having a hard time seeing them as a sinner, right? This guy is the nicest guy I know. And yet he needs salvation. So this passage here brings everybody down to the same place. Can you remember when we started our time in Romans? Why this book was written? It was written to a church. There was a contrast between believers in that church. Some thought they were better than others. And by the way, things uh, the devil still uses the same method. He's going to bring something up and try to drive it as a wedge between believers. We need to be very, very careful that we do not major on the minors and allow something that is not a major issue, a major teaching in God's Word, to be a point of division. So what we find here in verses 12, 13, and 14 is what everyone has in Adam. Bottom line, these believers in the church at Rome, they were all dug from the same horrible pit. They were all equally sinners. Nobody deserves salvation. And for our text today, bottom line for you and I, and can we just get real about this for a minute? Adam blew it, didn't he? Did Adam blow this for all of us? Can we all kind of agree on that? We look back at Adam with a little bit of disgust dripping in our voice sometimes, and we look at Adam and just understand that every human being has been assigned death because of Adam. There is a term that theologians use to refer to Adam as far as the one that brought sin into mankind. Adam is called mankind's federal head. The federal head. That is why each of us are sinners, because it started with Adam. What this is telling us is that every one of us is born S-I-N positive, if I can use that expression. Now, I don't want to um, get, too, uh, get too involved in your thought process here. But I can't help but wonder if very many people haven't had the thought process of this. You know, if I ever get the opportunity to talk to Adam, I think I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I think if I ever get a chance just to, just to be with that old boy, knowing what I know about Adam and sin in this world and all the aches and pains that I have and all the sin that I struggle with, if I ever get the chance face-to-face with Adam, I'm going to give him what for? Well, I want to slow you down on that. I understand that thought process. Oftentimes we blame Adam. Many guys will blame Eve before Adam, which I don't think is accurate. But when we see this, we need to approach this with the right thinking. Some people might even say, you know, it's not fair. I I never knew Adam. Adam. Why am I suffering because of what that guy did so long ago? But we need to understand this, and I think we find this underlying in Romans 5. Every one of us would have failed this. If God would have tested every human being individually, every one of us would have failed that test. Honestly, it's just pride that makes you think that you could have done better than Adam if you were in that situation. So what we find here is that all human beings come into this world, here's three things, spiritually dead, we will all face physical death, and for those who will not receive, and we find that word later on in the passage, for those who will not receive Jesus Christ, they are eternally dead. And so death reigns is the idea of these first few verses. Everyone is physically dead. Everyone will experience physical, physical death. And if we don't accept Christ, we will be eternally dead. Now look at verse 13 there. We find in verse 13 that the result of sin is this word that I've mentioned, and I'm going to mention it a few more times. The result of sin is death. And Paul goes back and gives some history here when he goes back to not only Adam, but he goes back to Moses. Did you see that in our text there? He mentions Moses, and the reason he mentions that is because up until the point of Moses, the law had not been given. That's why he's mentioning that. And so some people are going to be thinking, well, if the law hadn't been given, then how, how are they guilty? Are they guilty or not? And he mentions there that even before the law, every individual that was ever born still, what happened to them physically? They still died, right? So they still were under this judgment. The result of sin was physical death for all of them. Now let me say this about the law. And Paul says this in the passage. When we were given the law, what it did was that it made our sin more clear it made it more obvious. Before the law was given, the one that always pops into my mind first is that command, thou shalt not covet. I don't think they were thinking about that at all before the law was given, coveting. I don't think that was the case at all. But when the law was given, what it did was it would shine a light on the sin, and man's sin became even more clear. Now look in verse 14. In verse 14, something interesting, you might underline the word type. Adam is called a type of the one who was to come. Now, what is a type? If you can think of um, a shadow, that's a good illustration for us. You can see some shadows up here on the platform, possibly. Now, that shadow is like the type. Why is that shadow there? That shadow is there because of the substance. So right now, I am the substance. And I'm casting a large shadow over here in this area. That's what you need to think of when you think of a type. Adam specifically was a type of Jesus Christ. Adam was a shadow of the substance. And so, let me say it one more time and make sure you're approaching this in a healthy way. Adam, who got us into all of this mess, right... He was a type of the one who was to come that would get us out of this mess. I wonder how many of you in your Bible reading in the New Testament have come across the description of Jesus Christ when it calls him the second Adam. Anybody remember seeing that or hearing that before? Jesus is the second Adam. That's the idea behind this picture of a type. And so... The first point, what is it that all men have in Adam? One simple word, death. We might say we have a sinful nature that leads to physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. And so in Adam, we understand that those who have not, who have not accepted Jesus Christ, in Adam, death reigns right now, and death will always reign for them. That is the first point. So just as the human race was condemned by one man, God is able to save the human race by the work of one man. And that's our second point. If you're writing this down, number two, what anyone can be through Christ. What anyone can be through Christ. So we see the contrast. Adam's sin brings death. And Christ's gift brings life. Now, I don't like to bore people um, with getting into some of the details of counting how many times some words were used. Having said that, I don't think it will bore you. I think it will help prove the point by letting you know the number of times the word death is used here in this area that we're studying in Romans. In all of the New Testament, this word for death is only used in all the New Testament 19 times. All right? So 19 times through the New Testament. 18 out of 19 times when we find this word death, we find it in Romans chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. So clearly we find something that seems, I mean, there's something going on here that God is trying to point us to this here. And here's what I find Interesting. The word death used 18 out of 19 times here in these chapters. Can you remember what the previous section in Romans was that we studied? What the main focus was? I'm putting you guys to the test now. In the first three chapters, we talk mainly about the wrath of God. And so wouldn't it make sense when, we're, when we find this word death used so many times that it would be put in the wrath of God section? That makes sense to me. And yet we find it in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Here's why I think we see that. I think that we find that word used here because of that contrast. You see, if you know Jesus Christ today, you need to call Jesus your king. Jesus is king because Jesus conquered something. What was it? That Jesus Christ conquered. Christ conquered death. In verses 15 and 16, we find the gift. So, first of all, Adam brings death. And Jesus Christ brings the gift. And the gift, you need to understand, and I'll give an illustration in just a bit about this. The gift is not like the trespass. Adam's trespass, Adam's violation of the law, is horrible and it casts all men into death. But the gift, the gift doesn't just rewind that and back it up, it's not just a simple takeaway. It's so much more. In fact, those words much more, we find either the words much more or a form of them five times just in our passage. So it talks about death, talks about the consequence, and then it says much more. So it's not just an equal trade, death for life. That's not how we're supposed to see this. In fact, in verse number 20, you will find the idea of this, that grace, that gift of grace, it superabounds. Where death used to abound, here grace superabounded. Now look at verse 17. Verse 17 gives clarity to the truth that not everybody will go to heaven. So I mentioned earlier, if you're talking with someone and they just seem like the nicest guy or the nicest lady in the world, anybody met somebody like that? Somebody you're thinking, man, if somebody could get into heaven for being a good person, this would be the guy. I've met people like that. And yet, this is a good passage that reminds us that just because Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, not everybody experiences eternal life. Because what does it say there in verse 17? It says, everybody experiences eternal life, all those who do what with the gift? Those who receive it, right? Those who receive the gift is what is being taught here. And so life through Christ comes only to those who will receive it. And so the second point for us, what is it that anyone can be? Well, it's the opposite of death. Anyone can be alive spiritually and alive eternally in Christ. So we find all kinds of contrast that is going on here. Let me give you one more contrast and then we'll give you some things that you can do with this passage. We have a contrast of what man receives from Adam, and what man receives from Adam is deserved. Or if I can use this word, what man receives from Adam is a wage. And when I say that word wage, some of you, your mind might go right to one specific verse. For the wages of sin is death. So because Adam sinned, every man deserves death. It is a wage. But that is not what we find with the contrast What we receive from Jesus Christ is a gift. It's a gift of mercy. It's a gift of grace. things that we do not deserve, but we have to receive. Let me give you one Bible illustration that I think will be helpful to put some color on this passage for us. And in our scripture reading earlier, I read from John chapter 1. If I can go back to before John chapter 1, go all the way back to Genesis, and when we find Adam and Eve, we find them in the garden and they were in a perfect setting, and yet sin comes into the world, and because of sin, there was going to be spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death, unless they would receive forgiveness from God. But when God approaches Adam and Eve, have you ever tried to picture what that was like, that back and forth with Adam and Eve and God? Of course, what were they doing at first after they sinned and God went and called them? What did they do right away? They were hiding, right? And they were hiding. And then when God finally talks to them, they were embarrassed about something. What were they embarrassed about? They didn't want God to see them because they knew that they were naked, Right? So they tried to make themselves some coverings out of some leaves of some sort. And God did not leave them with those coverings that they brought. What did God give them? God gave them some coverings that were taken from animals that had been killed. I believe we see here that there were two animals that would have been killed for each of them so they could both have a covering for themselves. Two animals killed for the sins. Let me have you fast forward a little bit to another familiar passage. Passover. You remember when Passover started? We're right at the tail end of the plagues in Egypt. God's people had, been taken, had been, become slaves, and God's going to deliver them. And the final plague was the Passover, which was the death of the firstborn. And at that point, you find one animal being killed, one lamb killed, and that covered who? That one lamb covered the entire family that was inside that door. Do you remember that? Let's fast forward a little bit more to the Day of Atonement. When we look to Israel and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, we find that one lamb is being sacrificed, and who did that, who did that cover? That covered the entire nation of Israel, right? Right? And let's fast forward a little bit more when we come to John the Baptist, that passage that we read earlier. And how beautiful that John would not receive accolades and he would not be put up there as something that he was not. But John the Baptist said about Jesus Christ when he saw him coming, what did he say? Do you remember? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the what? The world. world. It is truly incredible the difference that one God, one Lamb could make. Because each one of us does not have to experience spiritual death, and we do not have to experience eternal death. I want to go ahead and read that portion again um, from the Message Bible, and I encourage you to have different versions. But I want to read these verses so you've been through it now and hopefully um, there is some clarity to it. Let me read from the Message Bible this portion of Scripture and then we'll give you some things that you can do. So just sit back and uh, the, the beautiful way that the writer put this together. It's not a good word for word Version of the Bible, but it does make it very colorful and makes it easier for some of us to understand. So, listen to what the message says from this passage. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. And so death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying the specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet, the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin puts crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think of what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that follows was the wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides? Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. And one man said yes to God and put many in the right All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on without end. All right, what can we do with these verses, with this passage? Well, number one, we all need to answer this question. What will you do with Christ's provision? That is the basic question that every human being needs to answer at some point in their life. Christ has made a way for us to have victory over death. You can either accept the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, or you will say no. And by the way, every human being in this world is in one of these two places. They are either in Adam or they are in Christ. They are in death or they are in life. What else can you do? Well, I mentioned earlier practically how this is so helpful about our past sins. I know some individuals that have some sins in their past that they think are so great that they cannot have peace in their present life because of those. And here's how I want to give you help with this um, aspect of it. Let me ask a question. Did that horrible, awful, completely uh, terrible sin? did that sin deserve forgiveness? And the answer is, no. That horrible sin did not deserve forgiveness. But thankfully, grace. Grace is not concerned with if your sin deserves forgiveness or not. Every sin, we see them as the smallest to the greatest, and they can have more effect, no doubt, in our world. But every sin is seen as unworthy of our forgiveness. So let me give just one last illustration. It's a superhero illustration. Maybe some of you will appreciate that. Uh, Back before all these superhero movies came out, there was one superhero movie that dominated. It was really the biggest one, the first one. Back in 19, I think it was 78, was made the movie Superman. You guys remember that? Superman. When we think of Superman, of course, Superman had incredible powers. He could do so many things that nobody had seen, and he would save the world. But something happened in Superman that... Superman couldn't fix with the powers that he had. His love interest, and I'm doing some trivia with you now, right? Who was Superman's love interest? Her name was Lois Lane, right? Lois Lane ended up in the end of the movie, and this is a spoiler alert if you haven't seen that movie from the 70s, Lois Lane ends up dying in that movie Superman. And all the abilities and powers that Superman had, he could not go and he could not fix it. And then he goes and does something. Anybody remember how the movie ends? What he does to bring her back to life? Do you remember? He goes and he ends up flying. Yeah, I see some of you doing that. He ends up flying backwards. I believe it's the opposite way around the direction that the earth was spinning. And I believe it actually, does it make the earth spin backwards the opposite way? Is that correct? I thought so. And so the earth starts to spin backwards, and then they show time going backwards with all those wonderful special effects that the 70s had in movies. And what happens is it backs time up until the point where Lois Lane, I think she was an earthquake or something, being falling into the earth, and he backs it up to where she was alive, and then he could go and protect her from that. So. Neat. It, was, it was a neat movie. It was a neat uh, thing that happened there. I want you to understand what you have in grace because the idea here with this passage is grace reigns. When it comes to grace, it is not just that God reversed back the things that happened so it's just like what Adam and Eve had. I want to step out here, and you can study this through yourself, and I want to tell you that what God did actually makes things better for us today than what Adam and Eve had. Because when we experience grace, Adam and Eve didn't experience grace. When we experience grace, it is something that demonstrates God's love in such a unique and amazing way. So what you and I can experience today, what Christ made possible through His work on the cross, means the things that you deserve and that I deserve, we don't get those. And that is called God's Mercy. That's incredible. And the things that we don't deserve to have given to us, God gives them because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And that is called God's grace. And that's why five times we find those words much more. Christ did this and it's better for us today. I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm not saying that I don't wish I didn't have sickness and we didn't have death all around us. But I am saying that what Jesus Christ did and what Romans 5 teaches us about is that what Christ did was so much better because of what I get to experience on this day. For those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, death has lost its sting And grace reigns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so sweet and good to us to allow us to experience forgiveness. You are so good and sweet to us to allow us to look at you and see that sacrifice and understand that it doesn't just reverse what Adam did when he brought sin into the world, but it goes beyond that and allows us to feel so loved and so blessed and we thank you, Father, for loving us. How sweet that you know each of us by name. How sweet that you make this available. And for those who receive Jesus Christ, how sweet to be able to live with a, with a life where grace reigns. Help us never to grow tired of being thankful for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Tim's come and we're going to have one more song and then we're going to have a prayer time as a congregation. Tim, you lead us in a song.